Welcome to Cast 9. In this episode, we bring you an interview that Topher did with Rich Condit about parasitic wasps. Rich Condit is an emeritus professor at the University of Florida in Gainesville, and I think you'll enjoy the interview. As always with our interviews, you're probably going to want to have Google ready as you listen. Enjoy. Hello, Rich. Welcome to Cast 9. Thank you. And in honor of TWIV, the weather here is 73 degrees Fahrenheit, 22C. Wow. Is that right? It says here it's 54 degrees. Can it be that different? Oh, yeah, totally. I looked it up just a few minutes ago, and you're a little bit over an hour away, and there's that big of a difference. Wow. Yep, that's Texas for you. Oh, amazing. Yeah, I'm just learning about this. All right, so Rich, we decided to have you on as a continuation of our story about parasitic wasps. So far, we've been pretty superficial in our descriptions, but as we get into the microbiology, we thought it'd be nice to have you here. So maybe can you help us understand the story just a little bit better? Okay, I will do the best I can. It's a complicated story. Oh, that's okay. Uh, that's perfect for our show. I will do the best. It's, it's, it's difficult to know kind of what angle to approach this at, but I will do the best I can. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really appreciated it from the deeper microbiology slash virology side. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that's that's what I'll focus on. Yep. So to start off with, let's uh, describe what a parasitic wasp is. Okay, these are wasps uh, that lay their eggs in the larva of lepidopterans, moths and butterflies. So that'll be a caterpillar. Uh, and the wasps uh, lay their eggs in these um, larvae, these invertebrates, and uh, it has the effect of, I think, paralyzing the caterpillar, uh, but they're still alive. And the uh, eggs that are deposited, and it's amazing, I've seen videos of this, it all, the, the wasp lays the eggs in just a second, just zooms in and uh, zap lays a bunch of eggs in the in the caterpillar. Um, the eggs har harvest uh, 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 hatch and develop larvae, and the larvae feed on the caterpillar basically as they uh, develop, and then uh, ultimately hatch into wasps. And there are, if you uh, search on the internet for parasitic wasp, you get uh, dramatic pictures of the wasps uh, stinging the caterpillars or, or laying their uh, eggs, and you also get very dramatic pictures of the larvae crawling all over the uh, caterpillars. Oh, yeah. Those are super cool. And I have instructions for listeners to Google that stuff in one of our other episodes. The next part of the story really just kind of blows me away. Can you tell us a little bit about what happens next? So the, I think the uh, historically the first observation was that when the eggs are laid by these uh, wasps, 
uh, along with the eggs are deposited um, particles that look like viruses. Okay, I'm not even going to call them viruses at this point. But so, like, what would they be? Would it be like um, a viroid or something? No, because viroids, uh, I think of viroids as not being encapsidated. Oh, right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, but what, what people saw, depending on the parasitic wasp, uh, were virus-like particles that were either icosahedral or more sort of um, ovoid uh, or sometimes round or whatever. But they, they had all of the morphological hallmarks of um, viruses. So... Uh, and is that dependent on the species or lineage? Yes, yes. Different, uh, different uh, lineages of parasitic wasp uh, uh, deliver uh, these virus-like particles that have different conformations, okay? Which right away tells you that whatever is going on here has happened more than once, which to me, given, given what's going on, that's remarkable, okay? So when people looked into this, uh, I mean, what you do typically, oh, and I should say that these, these virus-like particles appear only during the final stages of egg development in the female wasp uh, and are deposited along with the eggs. And at no other time in the life cycle of either the male or the female wasp do you see these things. Okay. Wow, wow that's really cool. So in some of these wasp lineages, you have virus-like particles that deliver DNA, and in some of these virus-like particles from some of the other wasp lineages, you have virus-like particles that deliver just immune modulatory proteins. Is that right? Uh, you are correct in that, and that was uh, the there there is fairly newly discovered that there are some of these that uh, do not actually deliver DNA, but only deliver protein. Um, uh, the ones that deliver DNA, the thing that's uh, weird about them is that, uh, okay, so people have isolated these particles, uh, extracted nucleic acid from them. What they find is that uh, the particles encapsidate double-stranded circular DNA, uh, and <clears throat> typically there'll be a variety of different circles of different sizes. Um, and what they've done is to sequence and catalog these and uh, decided what, uh, what uh, an assortment of these that comprise what they're going to call a genome. Though, as you'll see, it's not a genome in the, in the typical sense, right? Um, uh, on closer analysis, it turns out that none of these sequences encode anything that is virus-like like virus replication proteins or virus capsid proteins. Instead, what they encode are genes from the wasp that have immunomodulatory properties. Okay? Uh, not only that, but when these particles are delivered to the caterpillar, they do infect the cells of the caterpillar and, the, and deliver those uh, p uh, pieces of DNA and those are transcribed and translated into proteins, so you do make proteins. Um, but you don't get any virus replication. All that happens is you make these immunomodulatory proteins. And the effect is to suppress the caterpillar's immune response to the eggs. Okay? So, 
So you're delivering, you're using these virus-like particles to deliver uh, specialized wasp genes to the caterpillar that suppress the immune response in the caterpillar so that the eggs can develop. Wow, that's really cool. So do we know how it uh, acquired these virus-like particles or how it evolved this ability? Uh, yes. So let me... Uh, uh, elaborate on this because so far we've only talked about the DNA uh, that is delivered to the cells. There is, uh, there are genes in the wasp that are controlling all this. They are controlling the uh, uh, excision and amplification of these wasp genes from the wasp genome. And they're controlling the manufacture uh, of these capsids and encapsidation of those DNAs. And the genes that are doing that, it turns out, uh, come from an ancestral virus. Uh, of a, the, the, current, the, the uh, currently extant virus that most closely matches uh, the genes that are doing this is called a nudie virus. Uh, it's an insect virus. It's a double-stranded DNA-containing virus that infects cells uh, and establishes a more or less persistent infection uh, with a double-stranded circular episome in the cells. But it goes through typically an early phase where it uh, uh, makes some host-control genes and, importantly, an RNA a viral-specific RNA polymerase that activates late gene transcriptions. Uh, and it makes a DNA polymerase that's responsible for replicating a genome. And it makes an integrase. And some of these actually can integrate their DNAs into the um, host genome with some efficiency to make uh, a provirus. And apparently what happened is that in evolution, eons ago, on several different occasions, uh, some ancestral nudivirus had its genome integrated into the wasp chromosome uh, and ultimately was kind of split up and scattered around and some genes were lost and some genes were retained. And the genes that were retained uh, are the genes that are responsible for directing the manufacture of these particles. And those include, most importantly, the uh, viral RNA polymerase and also the viral capsid proteins. Uh, the viral capsid proteins, the reason the RNA polymerase is important is that the viral capsid proteins are transcribed by the viral RNA polymerase. Uh, also, the integrase is, uh, may, has been preserved, but the DNA polymerase has not. So it seems as if what has happened, uh, and by the way, so this is now a part of the wasp genome. So uh, all male and female wasps in both somatic and germ cells contain integrate in these parasitic wasps contain integrated copies of these virus-like genes. And what happens is that at an, a, there's no gene expression in the males, and in the females there's no gene expression from these genes except during the manufacture of of the eggs, uh, late during. Um, reproduction. Okay? Is that thought to be so, hormonally regulated, or how is that? Uh, I don't have much information on that. It, it would it would be pretty obvious. It, it's an 
a, an obvious assumption that it's uh, hormonally rela- uh, regulated, but I don't really know. And I'm not sure whether or not it's known. So at any rate, the um, uh, what happens when these genes are activated is that uh, there is something akin to early viral gene expression that happens where the viral RNA polymerase is made, and I think the integrase may be an early gene as well, so that that gets made as well. The viral RNA polymerase then uh, transcribes the proteins that are necessary for manufacturing the capsids and um, and encapsidating the DNA. And the uh, integrase is at least in part, there must be other genes involved as well, and some of them WASP genes because there is an amplification of these WASP uh, immunomodulatory gene sequences. So something about this process induces the excision and amplification of the WASP, specialized WASP immunomodulatory genes that are then encapsidated into these virus-like particles. And by the way, all those genes have clearly been um, set aside for this purpose. They are flanked by uh, direct repeats of DNA that probably direct their excision and amplification and packaging during this process, though that hasn't been uh, defined in detail. Is that in any way similar to how latent infections become virulent again? Uh, mechanistically, uh, it's not known. As far as I know, it's not known how this particular excision occurs. And I'm thinking about... Um, so the only really well-characterized latent infection in mammalian cells or in eukaryotic cells is by retroviruses. And in that case, the provirus is not actually excised. It's just transcribed, okay, into RNA. So there's no excision of the proviral DNA uh, during activation from latency. In the case of uh, prokaryotic viruses, like uh, prokaryotic lysogenic viruses, like Lambda, for example, there is an excision process that happens where the viral DNA, the proviral DNA, uh, is excised from the genome. But mechanistically, I don't know whether it's the same a similar process or not. I would assume that it's similar, but I don't, I don't know. And I don't know if it's no. So not, uh, well, also there are, um, in both eukaryotes and prokaryotes, there are transposable elements that can be excised from the genome that are sort of, you know, there, they are very viral like, uh, in their behavior. They just aren't encapsidated, right? They're, uh, DNAs that are transcribed and encode <clears throat> replication and integration functions, and they can pop in and out. So, so it's uh, likely to be similar to that sort of activity. Oh, okay. Wow, that's super cool. So, uh, to to go back to summarize, just to make sure that this is reasonably clear, sometime eons ago, a nudivirus uh, infected a wasp. Uh, and the genome was integrated as a provirus. Over time, inactivated genes were lost, genes were retained. The genes that were retained uh, became specialized in evolution uh, for the purpose of, at the appropriate time during egg development in the oviduct, amplifying specialized WASP immunomodulatory genes, 
and also uh, uh, expressing the ancient viral capsid proteins and then using the capsid proteins to encapsidate the wasp genes to make these virus-like particles that are then delivered to the caterpillar during egg uh, deposit. And that uh, those virus-like particles then infect the caterpillar eggs, deliver the immunomodulatory genes to them, which are then expressed and suppress the caterpillar's immune response so that the eggs uh, evolve, uh, the eggs can develop normally. Wow, and clearly, amazing. I think one of the, it is amazing. And, and to me, one of the most fascinating things is that this has happened probably at least three different times. Okay. There are two different, um, uh, two different types of polydenoviruses. They're called brachoviruses and ichnoviruses, I believe. Uh, and they make different uh, shaped virus-like particles. They have different viral uh, ancestral sequences. So it's pretty, and also the wasp lineages are quite different. So those all argue that those are two independent events. And then as you mentioned, there's another variation on this theme that's to me even more remarkable where the particles that are made in the oviduct uh, are uh, uh, liposomes. They contain not only, they, they are uh, lipid vesicles with viral proteins embedded in them for uh, delivery, but they encapsulate not DNA, but immunomodulatory proteins that are made by the wasp, uh, which is, uh, to me, just as remarkable. So mechanistically, that's a totally different thing. The particles look totally different. So that must represent a third occurrence of this in evolution. Wow. That totally floors me. Wow. Well, thank you, Rich. Thank you for... Uh coming onto the show and, and explaining this. When I heard you on Twiv, I knew I had to have you on the show to talk about it. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. You're quite welcome. Oh, and tell Vincent and Kathy and Alan and Dixon that I said hi, even if they don't know who I am. Uh, I will do so. All right. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It was, a, uh, it was a pleasure. Good fun. Yeah, it totally was. Take care. Special thanks to Rich Condit for taking the time to be interviewed for our show. You can listen to Rich in his native environment on the podcast This Week in Virology. If you like what you heard here, subscribe to This Week in Virology on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Thanks again to The Night Moves for letting us use the song Carl Sagan as our intro music. You can pick up their music on iTunes. In fact, we insist you pick up their new Carl Sagan EP. Thanks for listening. 